It's June 8th, 2016, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's tech and science. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We'll start the hour with the local tech calendar. We're going to start off telling you about a weekend iPad app launch. Then Sarah Lin from the Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation is here to, to tell us about Mai Tai Night. Once again, coming up on Maui, finally, Ian Kitajima from Oceanit is going to tell us about the annual Design Thinking Boot Camp. And finally, we'll find out about the state of investment capital in Hawaii's startup ecosystem. How do you go from accelerator funding to venture capital in Hawaii's startup paradise? Of course, we also welcome your comments and questions as part of that conversation as well. You can give us a call by calling in or sending us a tweet after the break. But if you've been watching the news, you probably know that the Hokulea is continuing its historic voyage around the world and is in New York now with a special presentation at the United Nations. And to commemorate that, a new iPad app is going to launch on Saturday. It's called the Ma Lama Honua My Voyage app, and it's going to go live on June 11th with a special introductory price of 99 cents. 99 cents? Yeah. That's, that's a pretty good price. And, of course, it's for kids from... Ages 5 to 8 is described as the first episode, a mixture of video storytelling and interactive activity. You'll be introduced to the hokulea and trained to be become navigators and learn how Hawaiians built their canoes. It's kind of an interesting uh, you know, sort of combination of things on your iPad. It's an awareness-raising tool, of course, for the voyage, but it's also a fundraiser. That's where the 99 cents come in. That is just an introductory price. It will go up to some other amount, so Saturday is the day to get it. The proceeds are going to be shared between the Polynesian Voyaging Society and the Malama Honua Public Charter School, which, of course, guided the development of the interactive parts of the app. It's going to, of course, also fund the next episode. Okay, and then, of course, they're pushing for downloads on Saturday to get into the App Store trending uh, on their trending list. And, of course, you can go to this URL, www.malamahonua.com, and we'll put that up on our show notes. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. And, of course, uh, we want to welcome Sarah Lin from the Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation to tell us about the annual Mai Tai Night on Maui. Sarah, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Bert. So this Mai Tai Night is something that's been going on for, let me guess, two years, three years, four years. We are. We are on our fourth year. And this is one of the signature events that the High Growth Initiative through HSDC, Mm -hmm. Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation, sponsors each year. And this is the one that showcases Hawaii's startups to Silicon Valley. Uh, Our partner here is... Mai Tai Global. Now, these are a group of over 100 top Silicon Valley executives, techies, um, venture capitalists, investors, and the evening is built around a big networking event, and it allows entrepreneurs to build relationships with influential people in the valley. Mm -hmm. And these people all love Hawaii, and the reason they're here, actually, for this time period is for a kiteboarding retreat. And so Mm. we kind of tack on and figured out that that this was a good way for them to uh, both enjoy their kiteboarding, and also get a little bit of networking in with it, and it's great exposure for local startups. And I imagine that Mai Tais also play a part of the conversation, (laughs) food and drink perhaps, to lubricate these conversations? Well, actually, the origin of the name Mai Tai comes from uh, Bill... I think it was Bill Tai and Susie Mai. They are two people. Oh. One of them is a, a Olympic kiteboarder, 
and the other person is a major investor and one of the top from one of the top VC firms in Silicon Valley. And uh, anyway, this is the fourth year that we're doing this. We're really excited. It's a great opportunity for folks not necessarily to come and expect their company to be funded, but in fact for them to just build these relationships with people who might in the future be able to help their company along or have suggestions or you know something down the road might come of things. Uh, is there any kind of like a uh, mixer event that will help people kind of connect with others? I mean, how do you actually get, if I walked in there and I go, wow, who are all these people? Are there, th- are there things that could help warm up the night right. besides the drink? Great, yes. Good question. Um, actually, I forgot to mention, at the very beginning of the night, we are having something, especially for our local entrepreneurs who are mm. able to make it over to Maui or that are local on Maui, and it's a startup resources fair where basically we've asked uh, all the folks who, whether you're involved in co-working to investment to um, <laughs> accelerators to, to be there in an informational state, kind of like almost like a career fair, but just, you know, informational based. Uh, there's also going to be one of our very special guests who will be giving a keynote talk. This is one of the top angel investors um, on AngelList who plans, and he's a techie, a guy with exits, a guy who's also a coder, a founder, and he's going to be giving a 30-minute sort of fireside chat, they call them nowadays, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. about how to make a lasting startup. But And Right after that is finished, we do plan to have hopefully a fun interactive kind of icebreaker game to get uh, the two crowds to mm-hmm. be talking to each other. So, you know, have Silicon Valley meet Hawaii. So in the past, how many, let's say, attendees, uh, particularly I'm, I'm kind of interested, like from, from the Hawaii community, attend uh, this event? Well, typically we have about 120 to 140 of Silicon Valley folks and then about 100 to of local folks. Mm-hmm. And actually, we're getting up there right now. So... It is starting to sell out fast, so folks should try to get their tickets. The event is next week, Tuesday, June 14th, and it starts at 5 o'clock at the, I believe it's called the Maui Tropical Plantation in Wailuku. Mm-hmm. And right. is it just a one one evening kind of event, or is there other things that uh, go on? For this, uh, for, for this, it is a one-night event. So it's one of those things where you, if you're a local entrepreneur on Oahu or on Kauai or on the Big Island, mm-hmm. It would be a great opportunity to just fly on over just for the day, and it's worth the 200 bucks you would spend on a ticket because normally these folks are, are very hard to get meetings with in the actual Bay Area. But here you'll be in this casual setting, uh, lubricated by perhaps Mai Tais <laughs> and Possibly. wine and beers and the wonderful uh, scene of being at the Maui Tropical Plantation. So this is not the first event that this comes around every year. Um, I wanted to hear a little bit more about uh, Ed Roman that you mentioned, but uh, what are some of the past? Who are some of the past speakers? Some some name dropping, perhaps that you can do, uh, or people that you might even expect at this one, or is that uh, something that to be left as a surprise to participants? That's a good way to put it. Each <laughs> each year, uh, it's it's a, a different mixture of folks, but there is kind of a hardcore uh, like a, a core group of my side folks who do make it over, including um, Bill. Ty from Charles River Ventures. Mm-hmm. So Ed Roman, you mentioned he's going to be doing, uh, I guess, a fireside chat. Um, is there something that people would be familiar with or groups that he's in, he's invested in uh, that would spark that interest? Like, okay, this, this is someone I'd like to hear? I think the, the programmers or the software developers uh, who are listening might have heard of something called Hack Summit. And he's mm. actually the founder of that. It is, I believe, the largest gathering of techie, hacker, developer-type folks uh, in the country. He's also the C- was the CEO of Hack Hands, which was acquired. And as far as uh, just being interested in him in general, he he really is one of the top people and most active investors on AngelList. And in fact, he runs three syndicates on AngelList. So he's 
a pretty powerful and influential person, and it's kind of neat that he's able to share his perspective with us. And we're definitely going to be talking about finding investment uh, in the in the community and perhaps beyond, so it's certainly timely. So um, you said that the, the, the spaces are running out. If somebody was interested in registering for this event, where can they find more information on that? They can go to the registration website. It's MTN, Maui Tech Night, uh, mm. so mtn2016.eventbrite.com. That's mtn2016eventbrite.com, and they can buy a ticket there. It's a pretty nominal fee, 35 bucks to get in. And also, the first 100 people who get there will get a chance to, to do some hands-on stuff with the Maui makers, um, th- making this interesting LED-powered name light ta- uh, name tag. Oh, oh, uh, Jerry Isdale. Yes. Yeah, fantastic. Now, now, Sarah, I mean, uh, since you've uh, probably gotten a sense of, you know, what's the best way to pitch these investors, given that you only have maybe one minute to do it, given you know you have the a sharing a drink, what would you recommend any of our entrepreneurs to base uh, best leverage that one minute? What what do they need to do to actually get the attention of some of these investors? Well, one of the first things you can do is just ask a person uh, about their interest. You know, not necessarily saying what do you do, you know, who do you work for, how much money do you have. No, definitely not. <laughs> okay, good. You'd want to start a little slower and just you know talk about uh, you know what maybe something as easy as you know what do they like the most about her Hawaii or what's most surprising about Hawaii, and just sort of start very quickly that way, and then say, well, uh, it, it just might naturally lead to a conversation where you make somebody feel like an expert about the thing mm-hmm, that they're mm-hmm. that they're into. You know, it's a, a way to segue into that. And then, you know, in the end, you're kind of, you want to be self-deprecating, say, you know, I really appreciate your time. Uh, is there a way I can follow up with you later? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't necessarily have to start out by demanding something right away. It's more, it's just this give and take. It's almost like dating. You know, there, it's this inexact science, but there is something a little bit to it where you approach, you don't completely pounce, and then you say, how do I keep in touch? <laughs> I think Hawaii entrepreneurs are probably good at that. And this event is taking place on Maui. We see and hear and cover a lot, certainly, of the Startup Paradise community and its activities here on Oahu. But certainly, this is a big event for Maui, and it does involve the whole state. I mean, I see the partners. You have the Creative Industries, and you have uh, Big Island, and you have GVS Accelerator. Um, so this is not just for Maui. Yes, this is definitely... It just happens that Maui is a place where most of these Silicon Valley flo- folks love to go every mm-hmm. year. Uh, great kite surfing there. Apparently, maybe the wind's <laughs> a little bit better there than it is here. Uh, not everybody can fit a diamond head here. Um, <laughs> so it, it definitely is for everybody, and there are going to be representatives from each of the different uh, startups startup entities on each of the different islands there, uh, pitching all the different kinds of things that we have going on here in our startup paradise, from software to clean energy to film and technology, to film and media to technology and university commercialization. Sounds great. And uh, anybody going to the, uh, the Mai Tai night, uh, remember, don't pounce. Yeah, that's a big <laughs> takeaway. Well, thanks, Sarah, for joining us. Thanks. Great to be here. And, of course, uh, next up we have Ian Kitajima from OceanEd, and he's here to tell us about the 6th Annual Design Thinking Boot Camp. Welcome to the show, Ian. How's it, guys? Thanks for again. Now, design thinking, man, that's been sort of your mantra for the last, uh, I don't know, better part of 10 years, I would would guess. Not 10 years, but it's been a while. (laughs) It's been going for a while. Oh, so so this uh, design thinking boot camp. I mean, this is obviously uh, the the sixth one, and and, uh, it's a a week-long boot camp. I mean, not exactly a week-long, but... It's okay, three so days t- long. So, okay, so tell us, what, what, yeah. what's involved with doing this uh, sort of uh, design thinking so, bootcamp? So like you mentioned, it's the sixth annual boot camp. So it's, it's actually pretty long. It's actually three days long. Mm-hmm. So it actually is June 28th, uh, 28th 29th, 30th, I right. believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's at the Koala Ballrooms. Uh, we've been having it there uh, for the last few years. It um, starts at 8 o'clock, and we go to about 4 p.m., 
uh, but it's three days long. So the, the process of, of design thinking uh, is basically f- these five steps, mm-hmm. empathy, defined, ideate, prototyping, test, and basically it's spread over those three days. Uh, the last day is primarily um, spent helping teams to plan kind of their re-entry uh, when they go back to work. So everybody comes as teams. Um, so it's it's so when you come to the boot camp, you, you actually are part of a team, but then we break you up, actually, and put you into a different team, a mixed team. Now, you went through some of the, the basic steps of uh, design thinking, and certainly it's a, it's, a, it's a well-known sort of model of how to break outside of a box and how to foster innovation. And certainly, if you've been listening to the show for the last eight years, you've heard about, we've covered design thinking yep. quite a few times. But I still know a lot of people, when they hear that, they just think, a uh, bunch of Post-its and, <laughs> right, I mean, they, they have a hard time articulating. Right. They say, this is something I think that's important, but I think if we just have Post-its, we can do it. But there is more of an art mm. to it. So for those who are uninitiated, uh, if you had to make the pitch, right. right? Speaking of pitch, Sarah, you had the 30 seconds to say this is something that would be right. good for your organization. Mm. How would you place, how would you position that? 30 seconds, wow. Um, I don't think we'll hold it to you. <laughs> you just wasted 10. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> I tell everyone, everyone does actually design thinking at some level. It's, it's, it, but it actually calls it out, in, at least in the process of doing design thinking, you call out these five steps. But it's actually the more powerful thing is the mindsets that you try and take on. It's like, you know, it's, it's, what's hard, too, is that when we somebody learns the process, it's like somebody going to, like, a cooking class and then going, okay, I'm a master chef. It's like, no, it actually takes a lot of practice and a lot of work um, applying the process. So it's like any skill. Uh, I know it that just takes time. a lot of people think of it as a form of brainstorming. But when you – for example, you mentioned the prototype step. So it's not like you went into a room and came up with 50 ideas, voted somehow, and came up with the one you liked. It's, it goes beyond that because yeah. before you leave this process, you're going to try to implement it or demonstrate it in some way. Yeah. So, so actually one of the key things I always tell people is if you just remember multiples, just remember multiples. So we always make – always have multiple ideas. We do multiple prototypes. We do multiple testing sessions. And probably the most important thing is the first two steps of design thinking, which is empathy and define because those two steps are typically, typically the hardest steps in a way, but the steps we, we spend the least amount of time in. Mm-hmm. And it's a real skill. I mean, those are very good skills for young people or anybody to actually learn. And so it's a practice. So learning that um, uh, the process and then actually practicing it and having that good kind of mindset in, in a, uh, going about it. One is I just tell people just do multiples of everything. So have do multiple interviews and then have multiple ideas, have multiple people on your team, have multiple prototypes and do po- multiple iterations. Um and it's a, it's actually a very simple process, but again, it, it just takes time. And Bert is one of our design thinking guys too, so he's been trained in this too. So it's a part, it's a practice, right? Makes he's one of the Jedi makes, masters one of, the, of yeah. makes design dangerous. thinking. Now, now, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Ian, because what is really quite impressive of the fact that design thinking kind of you you help bring this uh, concept to Hawaii and and over the course of the last. I think it's more than six years, but it has gained some traction. And I think that's testament to the fact that there is value in this design thinking process. So, Ian, what I would like to ask you is in all the uh, examples or all the, all the organizations that have gone through design thinking boot camp or any of your workshops, can you cite an example of how they've really taken design thinking and applied it to their organization resulting in something that was pretty you know, mind-blowing or innovative? Um, I mean, there's been a lot of organizations, and I think even though, like, for example, we're probably – OceanAid itself has been using the process for quite a long time. It, 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 it's not it's, – it's like, again, any kind of skill you're trying to master, 
it actually takes a lot of practice and commitment to doing it. So there's different degrees of, I think, mastery in the state of Hawaii. So so even for ourselves, I mean, we're applying the process um, kind of midstream as we're doing technology development. We're we're not forcing our guys, but we're really being mindful of going to the field and and actually spending time with users and observing what they're doing, and then bringing that those kinds of learnings back to the technical teams. In fact, many cases the technical teams are coming to the field or coming to interviews with customers. So so I think part of the the big moments of like aha are mm-hmm. still to come. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, well, how think, about for you personally? Or you you said this is applied at Oceanit. What have come out, or just... oh, I, I think one of the biggest, I think one of for me one of the biggest aha moments is um, by using the process. One of the things that was kind of that happened for me was just this idea of failing. You know how we always talk about, you know, f- you know, failing is really good, but 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 to to actually feel that, not just mentally, but to feel like okay, it's okay to fail, is I think culturally really hard for us in Hawaii. And design thinking, using the process and practicing it has really kind of had had that moment where it was like, oh, so this is not, because you're going through quick iterations when you're doing design thinking, that what you learn is that failing is actually learning. And and so part of what kind of energizes me is, is if we can teach that to our young people, and that's part of why we started the boot camps. It was originally to educate um, young people and teach them the process. So that's kind of the big thing is if we can empower people with this process and they come away with, oh, that failing is not a bad thing, that it's really learning and having this mindset. I I can only imagine what young people or people would do in terms of startups and the businesses, how we would redesign schools, how we would redesign government and all of those things. If we knew like... That failing wasn't necessarily the bad thing. Mm-hmm. It was. It was just a process. It's just a process of getting getting better. Man, I think one of the big challenges with design thinking is that you know you you, you take the people through sort of this boot camp. They're very excited. It's like a a, a, a quick sort of immersive dose of of how to go through this whole, this whole kind of uh, process of, of brainstorming. But then when you ultimately get back to the organization that you're working for, the key is how do you ultimately change the culture that supports this continual process mm-hmm. of iteration and sort of right. you know the, the, the actual idea of, of um, empathy and defining and ideating and then you know kind of keep doing it. Right. Because like you said, it's a long-term process. And that's what you said. So for the end of this workshop, there is that sort of transition process. Right. Like how do you take this back to the real world? To the real world. And, right. and, and then you, you, you kind of said a very important thing is you're actually changing culture because what you're ultimately doing is you're changing the way a person thinks. Right, so you're giving them this process, but actually in the process of using this process, you're actually changing the way they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And so you actually are long-term changing the culture to be, I, I believe, more open, more adaptive, more creative. More collaborative. More collaborative, right, right. more you know, engagement. So that's why Hawaiian Tell was amazing watching them go through the process is they didn't really call out design thinking so much as a process as it was a way to just get everybody to work together. Mm-hmm. And imagine having organizations that are able to work better together, you could do a lot. So this boot camp is at the end of the month, June 28th through 30th. To the 30th. At uh, Ko'olau Ballrooms. If somebody was interested in learning this ninja skill that has enlightened Bert Lum and many others, (laughs) where can they go for more information? So I I don't have the nice uh, URL that uh, Sarah Lynn had. So if you just go to eventbrite.com and you just search for Design Thinking Hawaii 2016, you'll find uh, the upcoming, the registration information. And if you have any questions, you can go to designthinkinghawaii at g gmail.com. All right. Well, that's yeah. very good. We'll put that up on the show notes later on tonight. Thanks, Thanks Ian, for joining us. Thank you. 
And of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Omar Sultan and Brad Punu. And we'll talk about startup investing. How is accelerator money different from venture money? What are the different stages? And, well, how do you get that money? We'd, of course, love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live in the studio monitoring Twitter. We can uh, reach your tweets at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. For the first time, Kuwana Torres Kahele and various Hula Hala will be performing the new music he has created for the Hawaiian Islands across two back-to-back concerts. This year's HPR Palikou Theater event on August 7th gives you the choice of an afternoon or an evening performance, or choose both and enjoy a mini luau between shows. Please go to events on hawaiipublicradio.org for more. Kuwana Torres Kahele, August 7th at the Palikou Theater. I listen to Hawaii Public Radio every morning when I'm driving to work. It it energizes me for the day, and it gives me that information that I need to be effective. It informs my day, and uh, I really relish that time in the car, as crazy as that may sound, to actually uh, be educated on what's going on in the world. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii, Ulupono Initiative, and Hawaii Pacific University. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today are Omar Omar Sultan and Brad Punu. Omar, of course, is a founding partner over at Sultan Ventures and the co-founder and managing director of Accelerate UH, Hawaii's proof-of-concept commercialization center. Brad, meanwhile, is focused on engaging strategic partners in the Energy Accelerators program and its portfolio companies. Prior to Energy Accelerator, Brad was a principal at Urban Capital of America, providing growth capital to deserving enterprises. And, of course, how can Hawaii strengthen its tech investment ecosystem? system. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. And of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Yeah, thanks for having us on, Brian. <laughs> Ryan. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. So, so Brad, um, you know, do, why don't we start with some basic uh, startup investment 101. What are some of the different stages of money that a entrepreneur might perhaps look at when getting into this sort of investment world? Uh, that's a great question, Bert. So let, let's let's kind of break this down into something a little more expansive, right? Mm-hmm. Because on average from, you know, an idea to full commercialization, there are an incredible number of stripes of capital and people tend to focus on one particular area that seems to be important to them, but they miss like the really big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you it starts in the lab, and you know we have a fantastic research organization in the University of Hawaii uh, with four hundred million dollars of research and increasing. Uh, and the the problem is, is how do we get the technology out of the lab and into some sort of widget? And you know, how how would how would someone go about doing that? Well, first you need to patent the technology. Then you need to actually create that commercial widget that's around it. So you need money to patent. Then the next piece is is you need bodies. And very often, and this is part of this, this ecosystem that we're kind of building here, is the PACE Center, uh, which actually you can put student resources around bringing together a business plan around that technology. 
um, you know, the they enter usually into a business plan competition, which will provide them up to like $10,000 to take that idea into like a business plan. And if they win, that's validation. Then the next part is, and I'll probably pass it off to, to Omar at this piece, is, is you can take winners of that business plan competition, and then they can go into early stage incubators. So I don't know, Omar, if you want to talk about some of the, the parts of that. Sure. So it's it's pretty standard. Uh, the way that we set up Accelerate UH follows other um accelerators that are, you know, uh, operating in the country. So we looked at some of the best practices at the best uh, top-in-class private accelerators. We also looked at what some other universities were, were doing. We took all the good stuff that would work here in Hawaii and that would work at the University of Hawaii, and we started uh, and we launched that program, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, it's about providing mentorship and, and the resources that a typical accelerator would. Uh, the same amount of money that some of the top accelerators uh, would provide in the country, up to $175,000. So that gives uh, the startups and the entrepreneurs a significant runway in order to get their business going, right? If you can't figure it out for that amount of money, you're not going to figure it out at all, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but perhaps more so than any other accelerator that we've been exposed to, we provide this heavy, heavy entrepreneurial educational curriculum, right? And with the whole mindset of uh, if we if we teach entrepreneurial best practices from now, that's something that they can carry on forward with them throughout their life, right? Whether or not this particular endeavor works out, and of course we helped try to make sure that it works out. But even if it doesn't, they're going to be that much more ready for the next endeavor, right? So in, in essence, we're kind of raising the tide uh, amongst the entire community of local entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. that's that's a big foundational goal of ours. And then after a startup or an entrepreneur goes through a accelerator program, you've given them a good runway, you've given them a lot of skills, then they go out into the real world and they're going to try to raise other kinds of capital. So you've talked about sort of early stage seed venture capital. What are the, how would you categorize like series A and series B, what do these things mean? Yeah, I think I think for Accelerate UH, I'd, I'd primarily categorize it as pre-seed, maybe starting to dip its toes into seed, right? Mm-hmm. So the next step after that, a lot of times, especially here locally, would be the Hawaii Angels, right? And so we prepare them uh, to be investor ready. And in fact, we all, typically at the end of our program, we bring in some active angel investors and we have our teams pitch them in sort of a mock due diligence, right? So that they, in that very friendly environment, can get used to answering the hard diligence questions. Uh, the teams are well, tooting our own horn a little bit here. But the teams are so well-prepared, or at least, you know, they've really kind of given it their all, that when we did this at the last cohort, there were a number of teams that closed or had committed capital from these angel investors. And, these are know, local angels. Or- local yeah. angels, yeah. And it was, you know, on the order of, like, six figures. So it was significant investment that they were committing to the startups after that pitch within our own uh, on our own office. So when you go from uh, accelerator money, which typically is sort of in the 25 to 50K range, uh, is the is the seed and, and angel money pretty much, I mean, are, are they synonymous if somebody's talking about angel versus seed? Uh, they, there's definitely an overlap. I think depending upon the angel group, it can get up to about a million dollars mm-hmm. sometimes where they can all kind of hoo together or syndicate to invest. Uh, usually accelerators are on the order of, you know, 100 or pre-seed, I should say, is probably up to 
250, maybe 500,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a cool continuum that we have here in Hawaii because we've got some of the local accelerators, right? And then we have some mature ones like the Energy Accelerator. And they've got two tracks over there. And I'll, I'll pass it back to Brad now to talk about those because, uh, you know, he can speak about it best. But it's this nice continuum where, you know, we've seen teams go from Blue Startups, for example, to Accelerate UH. Um, and then you know look to apply to the advanced stages of the energy accelerator. Now are the are the pre-seed guys the same as the angel guys, or are they is that a different sort of population, a community yeah. of, of so, investors? Um, I, th- I think people get a little too caught up in the nomenclature, okay. uh, and, and and really, you know, the the idea is how professional are you, how much are you investing. Um, you know, and, and people can play at different spectrums. I mean, somebody can be a seed investor as well as a Series A investor. So I think I think people just get caught up in a little too much of the nomenclature. Um, and really, what you should be focusing in on is is kind of what is the investor trying to achieve, right? And and where like what is their education? Where have they invested before? Um, how do they want to play? How difficult are they going to be in negotiation of term sheets? Are they going to bring lawyers into the scene? Are, you know, there's a lot of different mm-hmm. aspects, and I think that nomenclature is out there to help people try and understand and break it down. But very often, when you try and paint uh, a series, uh, a, a group of investors with, say, like the seed brush or the Series A brush, mm-hmm. uh, you very often get, uh, you know, you, you catch some outsized fish, either too small mm-hmm. or too big with mm-hmm. that. So you really need to understand who the investors are. And so, you know, when, uh, you know, the Energy Accelerator is is arguably like the top uh, clean energy accelerator program in the nation. And, and it's, you know, again, talking about nomenclature, it's good to distinguish between incubators and accelerators. So incubators typically tend to indicate a slightly earlier stage. Accelerators tend to indicate a slightly later stage. And so the energy accelerator really only focuses on companies where the widget is done. And and, and all we're really talking about is how do we make money off of this? And, and our program uh, splits them into two basic categories, a go-to-market track and then a demonstration track. And for the go-to-market track, you haven't sold your widget yet. Mm-hmm. And in that case, what we're giving companies is about $75,000 and putting them through a, a very uh, Steve Blank-inspired customer discovery process where they really get to understand their clients, what pain points are they addressing, and close in on, on what is their value proposition for that first sale. And there is some overlap with Accelerate UH and that skill set, but let me tell you, you can never get enough uh, of your customer discovery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so, yeah. And, and, then, and then beyond that, though, we then offer the demonstration track. And the demonstration track is you've sold uh, your, your widget two to three times, but you're really struggling to capture the, the whole value proposition of whatever you're trying to look at. And so... We work with the companies and we work with local partners and others in our ecosystem to try and design that transformational project, which will really demonstrate that for folks and, and really sort of take them to the next level. And for that, we offer up to a million dollars in funding uh, as, as a cost share to the companies that come through our program. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things that I definitely wanted to explore is from both of your perspectives, when uh, an entrepreneur or startup is looking for Investment. You know, what are some of the things that you're looking for? You mentioned, uh, Omar, a lot of the things that you're you're trying to impart with your mentorships and and the program to give them the skills they need to pitch, for example, or to take these meetings, to be able to work with financials, to be able to work with IP and things like that. Um, not to get further into the weeds of terminology, but one that I wanted to ask you about when you're evaluating uh, 
a potential investment is the investor cat class called friends, fools, and you know family friends and fools, right? That, that a lot of times um, the very first kind of money somebody will raise to get their idea off the ground is from their their own bank accounts and their family's bank accounts and people who are crazy enough to jump in with them. Right. Um, how does that help or hinder your evaluation of a potential startup when you say, hey, you know, okay, you've leveraged your house and your mom's house. Is that Does that help? Is that a liability? I mean, how do you measure that? No, I, I think that's um, that's a very positive metric, right? So not only is this person going out to seek capital from other individuals, such as an accelerator, right, or a high net worth individual like an angel investor, but prior to that, they've gone and they've convinced their family, they've con- convinced their friends, you know, their close circle that what they're doing is worthy of their support, right? And that they are the right individual to kind of pursue this. So it kind of passes a sort of litmus test, if you will. Now, when you when you start to build out a, a term sheet and as uh, an accelerator, uh, you will you know look for some equity stake in the company, you know for that money that you're investing. With the friends and family, are they also coming in with some kind of term sheet on that company? It depends how sophisticated the entrepreneur is, right? So sometimes it's just a loan. Sometimes, uh, you know, your grandmother's going to give you $10,000 and say, here, you know, go go forth and, and build this beautiful thing. Like, I, I want you to have the best opportunity that you can make for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and other times, for the most sophisticated entrepreneurs, they want it to be clean cut from the very beginning, right? So they'll think about all those all those terms and they'll have they'll jot it down and they'll have that discussion, which I think is great practice, right? Because it gives you that opportunity to... T- to learn as you go along um, with close family members, with close friends, and so that it's not the first time that you're doing it when you get in front of a, a serious investor like Brad and myself. Right, well, one, <laughs> one fear would be like your grandma's willing to write you a check for $20,000 as long as she gets 50% of the company. Right. And you're like, that sounds like a great deal, but you, if that happens, you can't go to Brad and say, hey, so I just got started, but half of the company is owned by my grandma. Only if grandma's running it. Mm, I see. Right, right, right. So then it does affect the later stage investments that come in based on how that equity is already spread amongst you know whoever's already invested before you, right? Absolutely. You want to set it up pretty pretty straightforward, right? Sometimes you get entrepreneurs that want to be a little fancy or tricky or they think that they've thought of something that no one else has thought of. And all those are detrimental to the deal, right? So Peter Rohn, who works with us, he's an angel investor. He's our angel investor in residence as mm-hmm. well as an angel investor. You know, he'll call that like hair on the deal, right, which you hear a lot. And the idea is you don't want hair on a deal. You want it to be pretty straightforward. So, yes, at the onset, you should set it up correctly. Yeah, so, you know, what happens is that as you sell off parts of your company, very often those parts of your company come with voting rights, as in like we get a say with what you do with the company. And so the more you dilute a company earlier in the stage and the more complex that decision structure becomes, the harder it is to move forward. Typically with the companies that, that we see coming through, you know, the the companies that where control has moved beyond the founders, right, is usually not until like a series A or B stage in which a very professional investor comes in and they want a board seat. So in general, you know, your early stage term sheets should really be pretty simple. They should be at pretty reasonable valuations, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and again, that's why they call it a friends and family round or if you want to include fools, sure, <laughs> let's include some fools too. But the whole point is you got somebody to trust you and think that this was a good idea and that validation matters. Mhm. Mm-hmm. One question that I think uh, would come up when you talk about this is a good idea, you've convinced friends it's a good idea. You also mentioned the Omar that 
that also proves that these people believe you are the right person yep. to do it. I mean, the cliche from even the Social Network movie was ideas aren't necess- are, are cheap. Yep. It's if it's if you've built it or if you've done it or if you possess a specific skill that is unique that says you're the only person that can do that. So. Um, do you encounter, for example, and we've, I think we've had a couple of good shows on it here on IP, on Bite Marks Cafe, where people believe that the idea is what's golden, that they don't want to talk to an investor because they, unless you sign an NDA, we're not going to tell you the idea until you promise not to tell anybody. But ideas are cheap, right? Ideas are cheap. Um, that's the unfortunate reality. There are a dime a dozen, right? What makes the difference is the team um, and whether or not that team can execute on it because that's what's going to bring that idea to fruition and to market and to be able to attract other partners, other employees, other investors. It's the team that does that. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do want to actually just jump in here and actually say that actually some ideas are not cheap. And those are the ones with unique intellectual property around them where you've actually spent a decent amount of cash protecting that intellectual property. So if you look, and, and again, I kind of want to run through this spectrum of like what does the capital look like? Running a proper tech transfer office takes millions of dollars to do. Then to get through your early stage incubators also takes millions of dollars. Then you get into your accelerators, and that also takes millions of dollars. And then finally, you're getting into the later stage investors, and they're cutting checks for five to ten million dollars. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you know, again, I, I, I don't think people understand how hard it is to take something from an idea to a full-fledged commercial product and a business that's running. Um, you know, and when you start talking about you know, the, the topic of this, this session is what is the state of investment here, I think we're getting it right in some areas, right? But we're clearly ha- we clearly have gaps in this full spectrum where we need more capital here in Hawaii. So, I mean, that's, that's the whole purpose of this discussion. And those gaps that do exist, and I think you know, people have raised this to the attention of you know, the wider community. I think there is a pipeline, and I think, uh, Brad, you're, you're definitely working with a foot in UH looking for the IP, looking for the sort of early-stage incubation that's coming out of UH. You know, they get into the accelerators. They, you know, they get a little mentoring. They kind of get, get uh, shaped up to, to be able to go out and, and look for later stage uh, investment. But then the gap, I, I, would, I would start to venture to say, is that with the Series A, I mean, and the venture guys, I mean, that is probably the gap that ultimately makes the decision for any of our entrepreneurs to either stay in Hawaii or leave to where the venture guys actually reside, which is largely, you know, Silicon Valley. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. I mean, if you look locally, who cuts checks for startup companies of between $1 and $5 million dollars? You're probably looking at it right here in this room. <laughs> so I, I well, don't. And, yeah. and, and you know, I mean, I, I like I like the idea that uh, we as a a sort of tech startup community have gotten away from these you know ideas of tax credits and 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 po- put more focus on the you know building of an ecosystem through accelerators and what have you. But but what is it that we need to do to even attract? the kind of venture capital that's going to take these early stage companies to that next level. Yeah. So, so, you know, again, I, I, I don't want to be a, like this, like to be like a public service ad for the energy accelerator, but <laughs> quite <laughs> honestly, okay. I mean, it's, it's held up very often as an example of, of something that's done really, really well here in our ecosystem. And the point is, is that, you know, when you bring the best of the best and you use Hawaii's competitive advantages, um, to your advantage as an accelerator program. And one of the key pieces there was that 
when we bring companies from the mainland to do work here in Hawaii, we don't force them to stay here, right? What happens is we get to work with the best, right? And then we mix in some of the local talent with that. And that raises the seas for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. The, and, the, and the fact that we've got national major startups coming through our program, guys who have raised, you know, on order of like 70, 80 million dollars, like STEM or Bidgley, you know, these are companies that are now mixed in. And when they go to our website, they see local companies like Shifted Energy, like Ibis Networks, like Pono Home. You know, these are guys who are there and they're actually rubbing elbows. They're learning and they're getting better. And the VCs who are looking at our page are coming from Silicon Valley. And then beyond that, you take them there. So once a year, we take all of our, our companies that we're working with up to the valley and put them in front of, you know, our, our last one in April, we, we had probably about like 20 to $50 billion of capital represented in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, I mean, find that in Hawaii. Well, so I want to I explore more of that. Uh, you know, how are you achieving that kind of traction, given that you are probably the best representatives of getting to that venture stage? And how do you start to attract more of that, you know, uh, from from uh, places like Silicon Valley. You want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Omar Sultan and Brad Punu about startup capital and tech investments. We, of course, love to hear from you as well. In fact, if you're running a startup, you're looking for investors, you might be able to get some advice from the experts. Brad said, these are the people in the room you might want to talk to. You can call 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. You are listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Kira Asatrian, author of Stop Being Lonely. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how to create deep relationships and close friendships. Sunday morning at 11. On the next On Being, social psychologist Mazarin Banaji, one of the pioneers of the science of implicit bias, helps us understand the mind as a difference-seeking machine. I do believe that in our culture and in many cultures, we are at a point where our conscious minds are so ahead of our less conscious minds. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Sunday morning at 10, following Weekend Edition. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Omar Sultan and Brad Pudu about tech investments in this startup paradise. And, of course, you can give us a call if you have any questions for our expert panels here in the studio. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, of course, right before the break, we are talking about venture money. How do we attract larger sums? We're talking seven figures, you know, one million Five million, ten million. I mean, That'd be and, nice. and of course, <laughs> you know, both uh, both Omar and Brad are uh, probably representative of of investors that could venture into that higher range. But how do we get more of that happening here in Hawaii? Yeah, I, I think oh, there's. Omar? Yeah, yeah, sorry, I'll I'll jump in real quick. So uh, there's there's a, some foundational elements that you have to have in place in order to be able to attract outside capital, right? In in this case, outside of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you have to have quality deals, right? And we've we've all said this before. Every investor will say the same thing, right? Um, money follows talent, right? Capital follows talent. So the more that we can increase the the talent quality, and we're doing a really good job of it with the accelerators that we have in town. But the more that we can even even more so continue that momentum of building the quality of the local entrepreneurs, the better opportunities that we have for attracting. Uh, outside capital. The other major thing is bridging partnerships. And you heard both those things being mentioned when Brad was speaking earlier, right? He talked about high quality deals that are coming in. And he talked about his serious connections that the Energy Accelerator has with mainland and international partnerships and investors, right? So similarly to 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 talk about the, the ways that this can happen is the partnerships that they have, partnerships that we actually have formed with Village Capital, with the EDA, Economic Development uh, Administration, that says, hey, look at us. Look at all the cool things that are going on here. And not only look at the cool things, but look at the high quality of cool things that are happening here in the state. And the more that that can happen, the more you start bridging those relationships, the more money starts to take a more a more serious look here. Mm-hmm. Well, can I really quickly ask? I mean, one of the things that Bert had just said is, you know, you want to see more of that here. And I mean, Hawaii has a wide range of people that live here or spend a lot of time here. And I would say it's not unfair to say that Hawaii has a lot of high value people. You know, I think the something like 30,000 millionaires uh, call Hawaii home. So when you say that the number of people who would put uh, seven figures into a into a uh, startup, um, you can count it on one hand, basically. Why aren't more of those 30,000 people jumping into the pool, uh, Brad? Well, I, I think that's kind of a misnomer. I mean, <laughs> if you basically look at who owns a house here, they're all millionaires, right? Mm. So I, I, all of them are, are house rich and cash poor. I so I, I, I would not trust that statistic by any means. But you know, I, I do want to go back and, and just before I, before answering your question and talk a little bit about what the, the response from before. And I, I do say that one of the things that's really important here is creating a narrative, right? Because you got to remember that, you know, Silicon Valley, New York, L.A., all these places, they have ego, right? They have tons and tons of ego. We have all the money. We have the ego. Like, you know, why am I looking at Hawaii, right? What, why am I even paying attention to this space, Right. So unless you actually create the right narrative, and, and in energy we have it, I don't know why we don't have it yet in the in the tourist industry. Why, why don't we have a hospitality accelerator here? I don't know why we don't have it in, in ocean sciences or astronomy or space, right? So, I mean, we have a lot of competitive advantages here, and I don't know why uh, we're not investing further into these specific now, niches. You, you mentioned eagle, eagle, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. what is it about the eagle that needs to elevate this narrative to a place where people recognize that it's happening in Hawaii? Well, we don't we don't need ego. We just need to address and know that it's there. I mean, we need to be very honest with ourselves and, and say, like, why are billionaires coming here and buying property, right? They're not coming here for deal flow. They're coming here for weather. They're coming here for other things. And how do you then bring them out from behind their sort of big gated communities or walls and get them involved here? You know, and you can see awesome examples of it, like Piero Midier, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's out and he's, you know, he set up the Ulupono Initiative and he's investing locally and he has some really great ideas, right? How do we, how do we take that model and basically get more folks involved, whether it's Oprah or the, the Waltons or anybody else here who effectively has a, a private jet sitting on either Kona or Maui. Right. So the the how that you're asking uh, is that a sort of rhetorical question? I mean, wh- uh, who can help answer that how question? Yeah, I mean, it it, it is a bit 
uh, rhetorical. What you're hoping for is through, you know, sort of publicity like this, through other. I mean, you got to realize these networks, especially the family offices, et cetera, are very guarded um, and you're not going to get them. All you can do is just put your beacon out there and they will find you. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's 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 the way that game works. Right. So all we can do is make keep making the beacon shine brighter and brighter and get these pokes personally invested in what happens here in Hawaii and again create that narrative of why Hawaii right very good so Brad Brad is with uh, um, Energy Accelerator and of course Omar Sultan with the Sultan Ventures we're talking about startup investments in Hawaii if you got a comment or question feel free to give us a call 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands we want to now welcome Andrew from Kaka'aku to Bite Marks Cafe welcome to the show hi good afternoon Thanks. Yeah, I had a quick question for Brad. Uh, you know, I do a lot of business with Japan, and I know Brad, Brad spent some time there, and I know renewable energy is a, you know, a big issue in Japan. I was wondering uh, if there was any infusion of money or technology coming in from uh, Japan to Hawaii. Great question. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in, in uh, Asia, uh, whether it's Japanese money or Chinese money. I mean, what's, what's the flow of, of money coming in from Asia, potentially? So I, I can really only speak to uh, my, you know, personal experience with the Energy Accelerator. Uh, and I will say that there's a lot of interest. Um, and if you actually look at our parent nonprofit, which is the Pacific International Center for High Technology Research, or PICTOR, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was actually set up as a joint research institution between Japan and the U.S. in 1983. Mm-hmm. So we've got like a 33-year year track record of investing in renewable energy and joint pieces, and we're set up for all these international partnerships. But, you know, I, I have yet to see you know, the level of commitment and attention. We're basically treating Hawaii as uh, the recognition, as kind of the center of this investment universe, or at least some of these ideas. But Mm -hmm. believe me, it's growing. And I think, you know, our program will probably have some really nice announcements to make, you know, by the end of this year, talking about this further. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Now, in terms of uh, Energy Accelerator, I know you have, you've you've, um, also started a a fund to help uh, companies that are going past the accelerator sort of stage? I mean, can you comment a little bit about that fund? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, quite honestly, you know, I do want to talk a lot about that because, you know, when you look around our, like, you look around Bishop Street, right? It's not Wall Street. You know, our largest public company is like $4 billion market cap, right? It's really difficult to think that, you know, our corporations, they should be pulling weight, but to sort of give them the need to actually pull weight as much as like some of these other much larger companies, mm-hmm. like it's it's a difficult task, and they're being pulled by the community in many many different directions. And you know, to their credit, this fund we actually managed to pull several of our local partners, whether it was Hawaii Gas or Hawaiian Electric, um, you know, and some actually local offices uh, like family offices, etc. Um, you know, the AIO group. Um, you know, th- these are folks who have basically come in and put money on the table and said, you know, we'll support something. Uh, with the Energy Accelerator, and we've put together a $3 million fund in partnership with HSDC and Sarah earlier. Mm-hmm. So, And we're, we're basically doing follow-on investments uh, into the companies. Um, and these guys, and, and let me tell you, they've actually they put their money where their mouth is. They've actually said that for 30% of the carry in this fund, they're actually going to donate it back to our nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's a real really it's a real cool. big thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Omar, from your perspective or from uh, Sultan Ventures' perspective, you know, in I would imagine in a larger or a community like Silicon Valley, finding the right deal is a competitive thing, and other investors could be 
getting deals that you wanted, for example. But I would imagine that Hawaii is collaborative enough and, frankly, small enough that the entry of uh, an investment structure such as that or other people getting into the game is good for everybody. Would you agree or disagree? I would totally agree. It's fantastic. I mean, as an investor, you never want to be the only individual or only entity or only investor in the deal, right? So the more that you know, these startups can attract co-investors and the more that other funds can come into the deal – the greater likelihood it is probably for these startups to succeed. So it's a very, very positive thing. And I also want to talk about different stripes of investment too. So, you know, we don't just like capital is not the only thing. And what makes, you know, you know, our program successful and we've seen work in other places is opening up test beds, places where startups can get involved, get those first customers and actually get an open mind. And, you know, when we look at like our program, like Hawaiian Electric gets maligned all the time in the press. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I don't think they've quite figured out the innovation uh, piece themselves. But you know what? They're trying, and they're heavily engaged in our program. We've done now nine demonstration projects with them. Um, and when you look at sort of the other folks, whether it's Hawaii Energy, whether it's hotels in Waikiki, whether it's commercial buildings downtown and property owners, these folks have all opened up their businesses and their assets for our companies to actually put steel in the ground and mm-hmm. actually do amazing things with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that uh, you know I heard at the HVCA luncheon well, a couple of weeks ago, which uh, which Tim Dick sort of brought up was, and I want to get your comment on this. You know, there's accelerators that are looking at investing in sort of early stage startups, and you have venture money that's going into some investment, but there is like a mismatch between what VCs want to put money into and what accelerators want to put money into. Do you guys see that as being something so, maybe problematic? Well, just as a point of clarification, I think Tim Dick's talk was about a mismatch between angel investors and venture funds okay. right? and the things that they look at to invest in. Uh, so there, w- there was a mismatch there. In terms of accelerators, um, I don't think that there's a mismatch at all. Right? I think the the whole idea with a lot of these accelerators is to get them venture ready, mm-hmm. and you know they have raised money from venture funds. So, so, now, so it's just a mismatch between what what the angel guys are are investing in, because usually wouldn't the angels really kind of follow what the accelerators are putting their money in? Uh, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. We'd have to ask Tim. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it all comes back to signals of quality, right? And whether you have investors, whether you get accepted into an accelerator program, you need to look at the due diligence process each does. And and the higher the quality of the due diligence, getting validated by being selected or invested actually means a lot. And quite honestly, like you sort of look across the table at other people Mm -hmm. and say like, hey, you know, like what, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And when you sort of reach consensus and you can see one person move and get convinced, it actually does help with others. Mm-hmm. I absolutely want – actually, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask actually on behalf of some of my friends. So, you know, I am involved in a startup, at least tangentially. And one of the <laughs> one of the challenges that they're finding is many people who are willing to invest provided they're not the first. So you're saying you're looking for signals of quality. You're looking for other people getting on board. But it almost seems like a chicken and egg problem in many cases where you said once someone says, all right, you have made the case and I'm in, that other people will be, I'm in. But how do you get that first one? That seems like the yeah, highest well, hurdle. To, yeah, what to is it over. about the lead investor that yeah. is so sort of tantamount in getting? Well, a lot of times the lead investor is the one that's doing the heaviest amount of diligence, right? So especially as it relates locally, um, I think once you secure that lead investor and they give you positive marks, right, because it is a small community and there's only a set number of individuals who are comfortable taking that lead status, that's when the other angel investors kind of uh, more so come into play because, you know, they have this great respect for each other, right? Mm -hmm. So after doing this diligence, if you have positive marks for, you know, XYZ startup, 
then that's when the others uh, start to get more interested. Now, would it make sense to then look specifically for a lead investor versus any investor? Or No, I don't think so. The, the best thing to do is to go out there and to talk to as many investors as you can possibly talk to to get them interested and to realize that it's relationship building, right? It's not like I'm going to pitch Brad right here, right now, and he's going to cut me a check. No, mm-hmm. he's going to get to know me. He's going to get to know my team. He's going to get to know what we're about, some of the traction and metrics uh, that we have in order to make a determination as to you know, if it's a good investment. And Brad, a pitch isn't a one-time thing. Presumably, you will want to see how it evolves, how a startup is evolving. Yeah. So, so it's, it's very circular. It's very chicken and egg. If you get a lead investor, sometimes that gets other investors to come along. If you soft circle a whole bunch of money and then approach a lead investor, sometimes that's great. You know, you don't know which one's going to happen, right? Which one's going to be the domino that falls that, that sets everything off, right? But, you know, the lead investor sets the terms, Right. They're the ones that put a number on the deal and basically says, this is this is what you're worth. And and one of the most important questions for any of the entrepreneurs who might be listening out there that that you can ask and have a dialogue with an investor is, you know, hey, I just want to have a talk. What do you think about the company? What do you think about this? I'm not really here to pitch you. But, you know, what like what things, what milestones would you like to see? that would actually convince you to invest at some point in the future, right? And, and that, that conversation, that question right there gives you both, number one, a target to shoot for, and when you hit that milestone, an opportunity to reconnect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest takeaway. Too often, entrepreneurs go and, and pitch an investor, right? And so to just to piggyback on what Brad said and to like really kind of hone in on it, you go and pitch an investor, there's a binary outcome, right? They're either interested or they're not. So the, the best thing that you can do is to not pitch them initially, right, but to get to know them and talk to them and find out what's important to them and then try to hit some of those marks. So given the community that we have here, I mean, and it's not a, it's not a huge community. I mean, I'm sure what you're sharing with us right here on the, on the air is something that you tell all of your uh, companies. Uh, why isn't it that they have gotten to the point where the investor is, is confident enough to be the lead and want to invest? I mean, why, you know, if it's just undue pressure for that lead or is it something that they just a little... You know, I'll be really honest and frank. You know, if you're hearing it a lot, then it's probably something else. Okay. Right? <laughs> no, and that's a good point. So maybe they got to up their game. Maybe they got to up yep. their, uh, 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 I, I guess, the product. Or maybe it has to be more compelling. Well, and I also, I also uh, like to quote the whole uh, rounders line in that one, which is basically, if you can't spot the sucker in 10 seconds when you sit down at a table, <laughs> it's, you. it's probably you. I love so, it. You know, no one wants to be the sucker. Well, of course, uh, we'll uh, put the show notes up uh, and, and give you links to both uh, Energy Accelerator and the uh, Sultan Ventures. We want to, of course, Omar Sultan is the co-founder of Sultan Ventures and Brad Punu does strategic partnerships over at Energy Accelerator. We want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank oh, you very much, Bert. Thanks, lo- Ryan. Love being on here. Thanks for having us again. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week and we'll talk about the nascent aerospace industry in Hawaii. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Bethann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Ghosts I've Met and a song called Songbird. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Dying.